1 Samuel 30, 1-6 David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burnt it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hello everyone, welcome. It's lovely to to be with you. If we haven't met, my name's Samuel. I'm a third year math student at the university. And I'd love for us to explore this afternoon a little bit about the importance of honesty with God and the way that we reap a lifestyle of strength, just like David, through a really good relationship with God. It's something that I found really beneficial over the last year. And I'd love for us to look at this passage a bit. I don't know what your reaction is, but when I read this, I go, wow, David, give me some of this. Teach me, man. Um, I want to have some of what you've got. So I'd love for us to explore this a little bit today. We're in 1 Samuel 30. If you've closed your Bibles, why not open them again? Um, and let's look at this passage together, shall we? So we've joined Israel at a point in their history. They've come out of slavery in Egypt. They've been led to the promised land. Um, they've been led by the judges. And then the prophet Samuel comes along. And we get to 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we get quite a sad story, really. Israel turn around and they say, God, we acknowledge who you are, but we want an earthly king like the nations around us. We don't really want to deal with you directly, Yahweh. We want an earthly king to talk to. And um, Samuel goes off and talks to God and God gives them a king in Saul and then he gives them a king in David. And um, in, a, in a classic God sense of humor kind of way, he uses David to teach Israel what they've rejected. He symbolizes in David the relationship with God that Israel said, actually, you know what, we want an earthly king for ourselves. They're not comfortable with the, the deeper relationship. And David almost then comes in and proves them and shows them what it's like. And we see time and time again through the Psalms, David comes to God in honesty, in humility and cries before him. And every emotion under the sun can be found in the Psalms. We see David laughing and weeping, rejoicing, crying. And David shows us and teaches us an intimacy. David models to Israel this fantastic relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I've been really blessed in my life to have a lot of great people who've modeled to me what an honest, open relationship with God looks like. People that pray regularly, that know and listen to God's voice. And we as a church community, as a body of Christians, are called to be building up, up each other, encouraging each other, and an amazing way that we're able to do this is by modeling intimacy to each other, by looking around us, being inspired by our brothers and sisters in Christ and inspiring 
our brothers and sisters in Christ, just as David modeled to Egypt an honest relationship, sorry, uh, modeled to Israel an honest relationship. So we can be modeled and modeled too. David doesn't get everything right, um, but there's a lot of great stuff we can learn from him. And all the way through his life, he spends most of it running around his kingdom, either being chased or chasing others. And essentially, that history is where this story begins. You may be familiar with David and Goliath. He's been training all his child life, throwing stones at lions without realizing it. He's prepared for this amazing moment in his life. And God, again, does that time and time again. He prepares David for this moment and many moments beside it. Look with me at verse four and six. The first thing that jumps off the page to me is the fact that David does this instinctively. He knows what it looks like to weep at God's feet. He knows what it looks like to worship him and praise him. Why? Because it's what he's done all his life. He's come to God in the bad. He's come to God in the good. And he sat at God's feet. He knows what it's like to be in relationship with him. I, I said at the start, this is something that screams at me, wow, I want some of this. David has sown into his life over the years, honesty with God, not just going to bed saying, hi, God, thanks for a great day, amen. But coming to God with all his emotions, whether it's bad or good, whatever the junk in his life, he brings it. Whatever the celebration in his life, he brings it. He knows God and he knows that God listens to him. If we truly know our identity in God, we know how much he cares for us and we know how much he wants to listen to us. I'm a really big cricket fan. One of my favorite players is Alistair Cook. Um, and he shared some really interesting insights into why he is a cricket batsman practices. He says that the hours that you put in aren't necessarily about your technique and practicing things that you've got weaknesses in, but they're to make batting an unconscious activity. So that when you walk out into the highly pressured environment of an Ashes test match or a World Cup game, you're not having to rely on your mental strength. You walk into the middle, the ball's thrown at you, and you just react without thinking and play what's in front of you. If you're able to drive, you'll know what it's like to slam on the brakes without really realizing it. And you just suddenly stop and then you kind of realize why you've done that. And whilst this is not a perfect parallel to what we see here with David, there's a remarkable similarity. There's, a, there's an extent to which David can't help himself but praise. It's all he's ever known. His immediate reaction is to praise. And that's something that I would really love for my life. Imagine that if your first reaction was always to praise. Your first reaction was always to cry out and say, God, why? How? The, the word uh, for lament comes from the Hebrew word how with a, with a question mark and an exclamation mark after it. And this is what we see in verse four from David, a cry out of how. How have you done this? Why have you done this? And this cry of God symbolizes that David knows God can deal with it. David knows that God is in control. Crying out to God as a first resort doesn't necessarily mean praising him. Life is tough sometimes. Honesty with God means honesty in our emotions with God, not just shallow praise. If it goes wrong, tell God that it's gone wrong. Look at verse six with me as well. Um, some translations make this more obvious, but this is an ongoing thing that David does, an active part of David's life. He strengthens himself in God. It's an active thing. David's not waiting for God to strengthen him. He knows that strength in the Lord 
as his savior is available to those who go to God's feet and sit with him and weep with him. David finds the strength and the recognition that God is his savior, strength for brokenness, strength for repentance, strength for determination to win back what the enemy has taken from him. And it's this strength that God gives David, that he gives Jesus on the cross and he gives us today the strength to face what is put in front of us, the strength to face what God's been preparing us for through the good and through the bad. Lockdown's been really challenging in many different ways for all of us. And we have a wonderful opportunity here. Those of us with slightly more extra time, we can start habits and we can dig into creating new things in our routine for when times change. And those of us who find ourselves busier are able to focus and, and fix our habits and our gaze upon God. An amazing byproduct of our relationship and our intimacy with God is what it produces down the line. An instinctive attitude of praise, lament, worship. An instinctive attitude that sees God working in people's lives and praise, praises him for it and inspires others to do the same. We as a body, as a church, build each other up by being inspired by the faith that we see in each other that is sown in private and is reaped in public and the strength we show in the difficulties in our lives. I hope um, you take some inspiration from David like I've done. I'm going to pass over to Abby Fulkus and she's going to talk slightly more about the practicalities of this. Thank you so much. Hello, um, I'm Abby. We haven't met. So nice to see you guys. Um, so I'm going to break the mould a bit um, by talking about two things instead of three. I hope you can handle it. Um, I was given two words when thinking about this talk, which is transparency and attentiveness. So I am totally building on what Sam has just said. So God's obviously trying to hammer home uh, something today with us. Um, so just for a bit of um, context on me, I'm the youngest of four. I'm All my older siblings um, grew up going to church and loved Jesus, but um, decided to live without him in their teens. Um, so David is someone I've always seen as a bit of a role model um, in being the youngest and being um, like slightly fighting the urge to follow in step with the role models of older siblings. Um, and the idea of being tucked away in the field with God is something I've planned to when growing up. And we see, like Sam has said, like David is going against the grain in this passage here as well. He turns to God when everyone else turns to anger. And I think COVID offered us some similar choices to that of David. Um, a lot of us had stuff stripped from us that could be lifelines like um, work, friends, family, plans, and undoubtedly some of us have suffered real loss as a result as well. So what do we turn to when that happens? And, or what did we do? Um, and, you know, I can share what I try to do, but really, it's um, an anthem of what I pray I do in the future. Um, so the first thing, transparency with God. Um, when I got home last uh, March from uni, I was numb and I felt lost. Um, so I sat with God in my confusion and my emptiness. When I had buckets of time, I opened my Bible and let God saturate me with truth. When I felt deep paranoia from being alone in my own thoughts for too long, I went to God to remind me who I really am. When George Floyd was killed in May and my ignorant eyes were open to systematic racism 
and I felt equally frantic and paralyzed by guilt and heartbreak. I had to bring it to God. And I felt incredibly fortunate for the position I was in in lockdown to spend time with my family. So I praised him. And in this week, as both men and women are questioning their place in a broken world in the wake of Sarah Everard's kidnapping and murder, I'm bringing 20 years of anger about gender injustice to God. But with everything, I try, and I try now, <laughs> to go to him. Not faking it to appear altogether, um, but be utterly myself. And God shows us, like Sam says, how to do this so beautifully in David's Psalms. Often starting with a demanding of attention, a cry for help, and then slowly and unraveling in praise. And that transparency of emotion, um, not faking it to appear altogether, and not faking it to fall apart so God has something to fix either, is really important in enabling us to be strengthened by God. And there's um, a really common theme of light in Paul's letters. Um, in Ephesians, it says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. Meaning, whatever we bring to God, perhaps slowly and painfully, he can change and use for good, for light. And for those that are visual learners, um, this is an image that has stuck in my head all year. Um, so whatever we do, good, bad, ugly, if we remain in the light, it can be exposed, changed by the loving, powerful and guiding light of God. As soon as we start to hide our flaws, like Adam and Eve did in the garden, when we start to pretend with God, when we fix ourselves on the outside, but don't let him impact our hearts, darkness can creep in. But when we come to God just as we are, when we allow every part of us to be exposed by his transforming light, when we keep a short account with God, we are allowing Jesus, who's the light, to expose all of us and redeem us and change us. So transparency is essential in enabling us to be strengthened by God. Um, and the second word is attentiveness. Um, so when we bring this stuff to God, um, one thing we have to be careful of is self-pity, <laughs> which is, I think, accurately called self-pity. It's a slimy and slippery slope that we can, that can be hard to get out of. Um, and God is our heavenly father who, who cares deeply for everything on our hearts, the job application, the heartbreak, the anxiety, the loss, the injustice, the fact that that group was not socially distanced and unless I'm seeing double was more than two people and blah, 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 blah. He cares about it all. <laughs> but God is not an agony aunt, nor even is he a problem solver. He is the divine, holy, all-powerful being that this whole world is all about. He calls us to be more than conquerors, to be world changers, to be moved to do the radical, uncomfortable and wonderful. So one way in which we can be strengthened by God in even the most uncomfortable and tiring times is to tune into his will for you, tune into his great plan 
his great vision that he has dreamed for you. We see David do this a bit further on as it says, he inquired of the Lord and then he acts in response. He doesn't do it and then ask for God's blessing. <laughs> he is attentive to God's plan and then he acts. Or a perfect example of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying to his father, if there's any other way so he doesn't have to be crucified, let it be done. But God's answer is clear. So Jesus willingly does the uncomfortable because he is in tune with the will of his father. So how do we be attentive to God? Um, and I think the verse we love because he first loved us is really important here. We are attentive to him because he is attentive to us. His love for us is intense. It's flawless. It is relentless in its pursuit for us. It is present whatever we do, wherever we go. And when we grasp that, I think the natural response is, God, I want to be in tune with you because you are so in tune with me. I want to know your plans and dreams because you know every one of mine and yours are perfect and mine are so, so not. So God, move me to your will because it is so far better than what my natural response would be to this situation. Um, yeah, so from that transparency, that honesty, um, that attentiveness that comes only in reply to God's great love and attentiveness to us, whatever comes our way, a global pandemic, a heartbreaking tragedy that shakes the core of who you are, is all felt and processed in the safety of God's presence. And we are moved to respond with the strength of God's dreams for us, placed by the Holy Spirit. And that is all I have to say. So I'm going to hand back to Carl.